0: Scott Fishbowl is right around the corner. Live drafts start in less than a week. The Potathon is right around the corner. I'm excited. Are you guys excited? Tim, Jake? How are we feeling? We're ready. We're
1: so I'm ready. I'm excited. I'm excited to get, get into uh doing a live draft in Dallas. That's uh something I've been looking Good forward class, to kind yeah. of doing, getting getting to meet people. I almost flew to Orlando last year to do it, but uh because it was on sleeper and I, I was gonna enjoy that, but I ended up not doing that and doing MFL, which wasn't this fun for me? I should have just gone on the live stuff and enjoyed myself.
0: That's, that's the one, the rub for me this year going to live draft is that we are doing MFL for our live draft, uh, which uh, I hate MFL, but it's okay. Cause the live draft is worth it. Exactly. So Scott fishbowl, as I said, right around the corner. So we are going to give some strategy for everybody out there. I'm Wyatt. Got my, my team members with me here, Tim and Jake to help me do this. Um, But before we get into any of it, I want to remind everybody, please donate. It's the best part about Scott Fishbowl. If you want to donate to Fantasy Cares, where a lot of this is already going, it's a great place to donate to. But feel free, you know, donate to your favorite charity. I have a charity that I donate to personally every year. Uh, But that's what this is about. So before we get to any of this actual stuff, that's the most important thing. Make sure to donate. But. We're going to jump into this. We're not going to get into the nitty-gritty of the actual all the scoring. I'm not going to recite all this for you. I'm sure most of the people out there are already familiar with the scoring. If you're in Scott Fishbowl, if you're not, pause this video. I'm going to put a link to the scoring in the description of this video. Go check it out real quick. Make sure you familiarize yourself with it because we're going to be referencing some of that stuff. But we're going to jump right in to how does this scoring affect how you prioritize players. Now, I know doing my sc- Scott Fishbowl Scott projections for this year, uh, which the link for that will also be in the description of this video. It's very clear that wide receivers get the least amount of bump in scoring per week in this format. Uh, Tim, do you, did you see the same thing while going through some players?
1: I see that it's kind of the the goal, but if you, if you compare wide receivers to running backs, the top or the peak are kind of the same. And even if you go down to about top 40, the numbers per game are, are about the same in terms of average. So when it comes to looking at wide receiver versus running back, I think after a while, you're going to have to start looking at the weekly upside as well as the chance that like a, a running back gets injured or replaced is a lot more likely than a receiver. So you might be looking at more of a consistency on that, but I think and a lot of times, obviously, with a large tournament, you're going to try to target upside but you're gonna to have to do it in like a properly educated way. Like we know that the top quarterbacks are a certain level. So when it looks when you look at wide receivers, if the top guys are gone, you might be a little bit hesitant and kind of look at other positions first. So I agree with you, it is kind of there there are parts where it's been kind of buffed down. But you still wanna consider upside weekly with those players.
0: Yeah, but, and but also gotta consider, you know we're used to those wide receivers have a higher points per game as we go down. And now with those running backs kind of coming up to meet them, that's what I mm-hmm. kind of mean, how they got a little bit of least bump. I and mean, we know, tight ends who get in the double points, uh, right? Obviously you get this massive bump, the QBs with, with there being no negative scoring this year, that helps the QBs the most, right? They're the ones who are most likely to have a negative point play. Uh, so they also got this big bump the wide receivers. Yeah. They got, you know, more for the catches, right? Like the it's mm-hmm. it's not quite there jake did you uh see anything you know going through this scoring
2: yeah just briefly like it kind of just adjusts like my top tiers don't really change as much but i think my tiers in the middle of the players that i like get a lot bigger just because you do have that upside the running backs you know that do have some receiving upside they get a little bit of a bump because you get the you know the potential for first downs both through the air and on the ground um and then with the tight ends getting those you know extra two points you know a ten yard. Uh, first down catch, it's a three point play right there. And it's, that's just something you don't see too often. So I think those middle tiers get a lot bigger to me and become a little bit more of like, you can almost build your team in the style. Like it, it, it allows more flexibility to let the draft fall to you, in my opinion. Whereas like in a, in like a dynasty draft, for example, you know, we want the wide receivers or in a redraft, you know, we, we lean a little bit run, you know more running back heavy typically just because we need them a little bit more. It just allows for a lot more flexibility, which is something I'm really going to enjoy just because I think you're going to see some very non-traditional builds be really, really successful.
0: Yeah. I honestly, I think that helps uh segue next into this next part really easily, which I think is the most important thing here. And that's talking about the actual draft strategy for this tournament, which I think is honestly the toughest thing to do because I don't know what your guys' experiences have been, but my experiences are that we can do all the ADP we want to do, all the mock drafts you want to do. You get into those drafts. It doesn't matter. This is such a unique format and tournament. There's so many starting positions in your lineups that People build their teams in so many different ways that you're going to see stuff that you're not used to. So, I mean, we do want to talk about planning, right? But it's tough to plan. I mean, Tim, like, do you have a, a, a you know, tentative strategy you're going into it with?
1: So I think it's important to group players in the, not just tiers for this draft, but into like different categories. Like you have your top scoring guys, like your top quarterbacks that basically double what QB 23 is scoring on a weekly basis per average. And then you have your positional guys or you have like your Kelsey that stands alone, but then you have the tight there. There's like three or four tight ends that on last year's stats got to like 20 plus. So I think the, the, the plan should be to find those truly difference making players and to understand the value of your quarterback too. So when it comes to strategy, I'm going to target any of those top scoring quarterbacks in the first round if possible. But then if, Let's say they're all gone and Kelsey's gone because I'm at 109. So I, I'm gonna have a decision to make. So I'm going to be there be looking at who then after that tier of true difference makers, I'm gonna be looking at who has the best upside uh, as I continue down to the draft board because as I said before, if both running back and and wide receiver at at position 40 for each one of those positions is they're both scoring 13 a game on average. We're not really seeing a differentiation there. So you pretty much can then build however the draft board allows you. But in those first few rounds, I'm trying to target anything that's either true point difference maker or really high upside or like really big volume. That's pretty much it. And it could come at any position because, like I said, there are like four or five tight ends that were over 20, and Kelsey was at 33 last year, Like based yeah. on the scoring.
0: Yeah, talking about those difference makers, those people who really separate themselves from the others in their position, like looking at my projections, the QB1 is seven points ahead per game of the QB12. They're... 12 points ahead of the QB 24 in points per game. When we go to tight end. It's even crazier. Uh, Travis Kelsey, obviously the number one projected tight end is 15 points ahead of tight end 12. Like that really shows <laughs> like how much of a big difference. And It's not quite the same at running backs and wide receivers, which for me is like why one of the reasons going to the draft, those are the two positions I'm really going to try to focus on in the beginning, but a lot of people are doing that. So we have to stay water, right? Jake exactly yeah
2: for me i'm picking out of the four spot so i'm in that lucky pocket where i'm going to be able to get either one of those elite quarterbacks or kelsey um depending on how the board falls to me and then i'm hoping on that wrap around you know there's some really nice stack opportunities with a couple quarterbacks and tight ends that you can you know shoot for in that area um but that's definitely one thing i notice is i i feel like i'm going to be a little more aggressive on tight end than i typically am but also if a if one of those top kind of 10 quarterbacks in my rankings kind of fall to me in that second round. I've done a lot of mock drafts so far, and my favorite builds are when I can get that second elite quarterback. Or, you know, if I can't get one of those, you know, I can hold off on the position. I have some nice mid-round targets that I really like with a lot of upside. Um, But I I think quarterbacks are really going to be, they're already a difference maker in any super flex format. But I think this year, especially like there's a lot of value to be had by having those elite quarterbacks which is why I, I i was a four last year and i'm not moving out of the four spot just because those those elite quarterbacks can make or break your year like i had justin herbert last year who started the season awesome but you know when he gets hurt you know it it really shows the fall off that you get when you don't have an elite option like that and i was somebody who had gino as like a next to last round pick and, you know, I, I lucked out there a little bit. He, he helped me tread water there, but I'd rather not tread water. I'd rather, you know, <laughs> I'd rather be swimming laps like I'm Michael Phelps out here.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm sitting in the two spot in my draft. And my plan A is Travis Kelsey, just because I think the biggest positional advantage you can get. But that goes along with, like, crossing my fingers that a top 12 QB makes his way back to me. Because right. if he doesn't, like, I'm not going to feel good. Um I'm okay with like waiting on QB2 and taking a couple later shots. Like last year, my QB2 was a mixture of Mac Jones and Jared Goff, which worked out. Mac Jones wasn't quite what we wanted him to be, but Jared Goff had a great year. It worked out for me. Uh, but like that, me going Travis Kelsey at pick two, if that, if it's a huge QB run in my draft, like things are going to have to change. And, and, you know, then you're starting to play the QB chicken game of like when do you actually take one? Cause you don't want to overdraft and miss out on value. It's a tough thing, right, Tim?
1: yeah i agree i i just i want to point out though even down to qb 24 qb 24 on a per game average actually was outscoring tight end two or i'm sorry not tight end two, tight end three because our mark andrews on a per average basis was tight end two so it there there is still value in taking a second quarterback or even being able to maybe take qb 7 16 and 17 because you waited you you're, there's still value in those points right. that they're the difference between the top quarterbacks is so great compared to those other guys that, that you're, you're finding that difference, but there is still value in identifying two worthwhile starting QBs, even if they're a little bit later, like I might lean in a quarterback a little bit heavier in the mid to late rounds, because of the fact that if they do hit on that per game basis, you're not going to find a replacement wide receiver. That's going to be hitting 20 to 22 points per game in this, in this uh, tournament.
0: Yeah and it, it finding those spots to to take the QB I think is really important you know weighing them against the other positions Jake is there like a QB2 that you're honing in on that you really want
2: my favorite one so far actually has been daniel jones just with the the rushing upside that you get he's falling a little bit at least in mock so far he's been falling a little uh-huh. bit farther than i would expect him to be and he ends up in a really nice spot where you're you're outside of the top 12 wide receivers you're typically outside of the top 12 running backs you know andrews and kelsey are typically gone at that point so you can be you know you almost hit a point like i said when those tiers get so big it's almost like a get your guy situation and that's how a lot of people treat scott fishbowl anyway you know this is supposed to be a fun tournament people are very aggressive at getting players that they like it, getting guys that are on their favorite team if, especially with like some of the live drafts or the regional drafts like if you're picking a regional chain and everybody in your your uh your grouping there is you know a chargers fan you know keenan allen's gonna get bumped up the boards austin eckler's gonna get bumped up the board right. so um but but definitely there's there's a really a lot of players that are, I like his quarterback too, but Daniel Jones just with the rushing upside, you know, getting those points for first down carries, you know, if he continues to run at the rate that he did last year, but we see some increased passing efficiency just due to having some real weapons. I think he could sneakily be like a top eight quarterback this year.
0: Tim, is it safe to say that Mac Jones is your favorite late round QB even Scott fishbowl?
1: Well, I, I like Mac Jones. I think you should be buying Mac Jones for sure, but I actually like Sam Howell more. Because even in this limited stint last year, he averaged almost 30 points a game in this format. And I think that's huge. And I think there's going to be a lot of... uh, There's going to be um, potential for you to get him later. And something that I I think about with these late quarterbacks when you ask if you have a specific target is you should be water and you should be really adjusting to... um, Because there's a lot of scenarios. Like if you look at like different divisions, like NFC South versus like the nfc west like the ways in which those games are going to be played is going to be very different so you probably want to be targeting teams with either really bad defenses that are going to need fourth quarter production or teams that are going to be in competitive divisions that are going to have to score points and not like two ball control teams playing each other i think that's going to be way more important than having a specific target at your qb2 or even your qb3 i'm just looking for best situation at that point because of it being such a large tournament there may be teams that are um I should say managers in this draft that avoid certain quarterbacks because they're ugly, but they're actually really good situations for you to differentiate yourself from.
0: For sure. Let's uh, change tune real quick to running backs. Uh, Tim, is there anybody who stuck out to you that this draft season going into Scott Fishbowl that you think you're going to be higher on that you're going to be targeting?
1: Um. For me, it's pretty interchangeable with running back. I feel like, and I felt this way last year too. I think that like a guy like Austin Eckler, I, I last year was talking about DeAndre Swift because if DeAndre Swift had gotten that role, I feel like he was going to be a a league winner or a difference maker. But you're going to need you're going to need the receiving running backs um, as much as you can in terms of volume, where you're not overpaying at their ADP, because I just feel like that's a way to just set yourself apart, get more uh, opportunities for for first downs i understand that rushing first downs are important they're just i think to, in my opinion they're a little bit more difficult to predict and that's where i want to kind of set myself apart so if it comes to that i'm look more looking at kind of receiving running backs just for their potential upside in this format from week to week but i don't have a specific target at this point just because adp is going to change and just be water kind of understand situations more often than just players at this point
0: yeah, for, for me, I'm looking at all these running backs with warts on that no one actually likes, like Cam Akers, James Conner, Rashad White, like all these backs who are in these uh, situations where there's reason to believe that they're going to get 70 to 80% of the opportunities in their backfield because they don't really have anybody competing with their touches, but they're running backs who are falling to RB25 to RB30 range because they're ugly, let's be honest. They're on bad offenses, all whatever it is, you know. Uh they're old, they have injury history, whatever it is, it's okay. I'm buying the dip. Um, Jake, what about you running backs? Talk to me. I'm basically
2: just giving away my round four through six drafting strategy at this point, but like my <laughs> favorite thing to do in uh in the mock drafts I've done so far is basically like fifth, sixth round. I'm double tapping Aaron Jones and Joe Mixon in whatever order they seem to fall it's the same kind of thing that you're talking about like they have some morts on them yeah, just the you know, these them are up. yeah these are these are guys who should not be falling to the to the areas that they are realistically like Joe Mixon just last year was a, a top 12 running back Aaron Jones has consistently been that and it's been pretty clear so far that you know Joe Mixon is still on the team Even, I don't think he's going to get suspended, ultimately. Um, I don't think he's going to be cut. I think he is going to be the Cincinnati Bengals running back uh, in 2023, uh, at least the one that you want to roster. So for him, you know, I'm getting discounted upside there. Same with Aaron Jones. You know, he's going to be 29, but also they don't want to give AJ Dillon seemingly a huge role outside of like goal line carries or, you know uh, you know, money zone carries really. Um, So for me, those guys just have so much upside in their range. And that that goes back to what Tim was saying with the upside there, like in that range of running backs, there's not many guys that can sneak into the top six, seven, eight running backs anymore, but those guys absolutely can because we've seen them both do it at times.
1: And all Uh, of those guys catch passes.
2: Exactly.
0: Yes. Very, very important factor there. Speaking of catch and passes, I want to talk about some wide receivers, too, because I think with the scoring system where you get the points for first downs, basically what this makes you want to do is, like, filter by targets, right? Like, you know, just this or sort by targets. Like, we're just, we're looking for high-volume players when it comes to this. Like, Christian Watson is a player that I've been loving in underdog drafts so far this year, but he's a player who I do not want to draft based on on this scoring the wide receivers he's going around because while i think he could have a lot of big plays here that volume i'm not sure what that's really going to be if it's going to be fully there for him but like a person like keenan allen like he jumps up a good bit for me in a format like this jake do you have any thoughts on wide receivers for scott fishbowl uh
2: basically exactly what you said i'm just i want consistent target earners. i don't want you know there there are some benefits to having you know a gabe davis on your roster when you don't have to predict when to put him in your lineup because more often than not like you're missing the first week that he blows up and then you're throwing him in for 3 weeks hoping they get another blow up and then they don't you take him out then the blow up happens again i want those guys who are earning targets week in and week out so your Keenan Allen is a, is a big target of mine Deontay Johnson kind of same thing Great one. you know just guys that i know are they're going to get 130 targets if they play all 17 games and especially a guy like Deontay, who's consistently falling outside the top 30 drafted wide receivers like that's just there's no more upside in the situation there. And and yes, you can say all, you know, until you're blue in the face that he's not going to be a Justin Jefferson. And I'm not expecting him to be, I'm taking him as the 30th wide receiver off the board, hoping he's my wide receiver. He ends up wide receiver 15, which with that target share in this format, it's going to be hard to not sniff that range. As long as he can fall into the end zone a couple more times this year. Yeah.
0: Tim thoughts.
1: It's going to be super ambiguous at the wide receiver position based on after you get like through the first through the first, like three or four, like you're are going to, excuse me, you are just going to be chasing targets. You are just going to be chasing volume. And so I think that like a later uh, sneaky type of play might be targeting some Houston wide receivers because there is a lot of um, ambiguity and am, am, ambiguity. Excuse me. I can't speak today <laughs> in that one. wide receiver room right now. So we don't really know who the top target earner is going to be. And it could be yeah. that you get the, the main target earner at a big discount that I like what you talked about with Watson being completely different with best ball because you have to set a lineup. So, him giving you 31 week and giving you zero another week is not really beneficial in this format. Yeah, it averages out to 15 points a week, but that still isn't like a great score. I understand that you might win your matchup even if he scores zero, but like that's a really risky way to play. So, like I'm, like you said, I'm looking for target earners. I'm looking for. Things that can set wide receivers apart because like even in in this example, T, T Higgins averaged 15 points a game last year in this format, which if we look at, you know, most of the quarterbacks, most of the tight ends, most of the running backs, that's pretty yeah. unimpressive in this yeah. format. So like names like that are going to get overrated and overpicked where like a Christian Kirk could probably go or should probably go above T Higgins and he won't. And that might be a guy to target a little bit earlier in drafts compared to like the Houston wide receivers that I'm talking about.
2: And I think it comes down to cost, too, because like you can have a guy like Christian Watson in your lineup every single week if you have four or five other legit consistent target earners. But his cost is going to he's going to go as a top 24 wide receiver in most drafts, if I had to guess. And I just there. There's no way you're going to get four or five wide receivers in your lineup every single week that are above him um so it really boils down to cost where like later in the draft you can take some of those shots you can look for you know maybe like a late dj chark and hope that he can refine some magic and be you know score a couple touchdowns here and there and he's not killing you if he's in your lineup too many times because your wide receiver you know four five six in your lineup however you set it that week um so it really just boils down to the cost on those like boom bust type guys like you really need that boom to boom, but you need it to boom. If you're, uh, all of your other guys are also kind of
0: booming too. Yeah. All right. Finishing up this real quick with some tight ends. Obviously we love Kelsey. We really like Mark Andrews. After that, there's a pocket of tight ends that we can kind of pick and choose between, but I think similar to wide receivers, we really are sorting by targets in a way two points for receptions, two points for first downs. It's an absurd amount of points, right? For just catching a pass. Uh, especially if it goes for 10 yards or a first down right so while they're in other scoring formats you can have tight ends where if they just get seven touchdowns on the year like they're gonna be a tight end one easy no problem this this is a league where it's possible you can have that many touchdowns and and fail to be a tight end 12 if you're not catching enough passes um so i think like it does actually change a little bit of how we feel about some of these tight ends i'm Like a player like TJ Hawkinson, I think is clearly the third best tight end for me, just because I think it's really easy to project his target load in that offense. Tim, how are we feeling about tight end? Does anybody stick out to you? Do you have any thoughts on like the position as a whole for Scott Fishbowl?
1: I have a sleeper. I think Trey McBride is a great sleeper for Scott Fishbowl. I dig it. Because if we look at Zach Ertz, Zach Ertz was top six in points per game average last year. And I don't the – there's been a lot of debate if they keep him or if they're going to get rid of him. His contract's kind of guaranteed. They but have I don't no think reason to have him on their team. Yeah, yeah. I don't think he's in their future plans, even if he stays on the roster. I mean, there's no guarantee yeah, there's he's no, going to be no healthy plan. again. So I could easily see even a young rookie quarterback stepping in, really leaning on him, or even Colt McCoy, who hasn't really proven to have a really strong arm. I could yeah. see McBride getting a lot of targets, and I really actually – I want to make a little bit of comparison like Dallas Goddard. Dallas Goddard gets a lot of first downs because he's a very safe target underneath. But there's been big differences when um, he and like Smith play all together all the time. So I kind of want to liken him to that. If there's an ability for him to get volume in that sort of fashion, he could be a a league winning or a a very making your team very competitive in this in this uh, format.
0: Both playing behind hurts as well there uh (laughs) well i was just comparing
1: the play styles because i i was only trying to talk about jay mcbride in that in that situation
0: yeah jake uh what do you what do you think about these tight ends yeah, I have I
2: have a, a what I consider to be a sleeper and then I have like kind of a mid-round guy that I'm also really high on. Uh, the That's mid-round here. guy is Dalton Schultz. Um, again, like like Tim said with Houston there, you know, yeah. th- the volume's got to go somewhere and this is going to be probably a bad defense again. They're probably going to have to throw the ball, you know, a decent amount of times to get themselves back in the games there. And he's arguably, I don't even think it's really arguable if we're being honest, he's the most accomplished pass catcher on that team right now. Um,
0: <laughs> yeah, Yeah
2: robert woods you can make an argument there but he's not what he used to be you know nico has had some flashes hasn't been consistent we're hoping john mechie can be good we're hoping yada 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 Um, but really i think schultz is a sneaky target and then if we're just talking like pure targets at the tight end position tyler higby is a pretty late option that was a favorite of matthew stafford for most of last year and Hunter long was really the only added competition there. Like there's just that offense hasn't changed a bunch. So I still think early, especially early in the season, I think we're going to see Tyler Higbee get a sizable target share there. And he becomes a really sneaky, good late round option. If you do miss out on some of those top guys where you can feel a little bit more comfortable waiting on him just because the ball's got to go somewhere. And I hate saying that,
0: but it's true. <laughs> Tyler Higbee has to be the latest tight end you can draft who has a realistic possibility of getting hundred targets this year. It's wild, right? For this, yeah. Um, Him or and I love Hayden, the, Hayden Hurst is probably right there too. Uh, Hayden Hurst is a good one, definitely. He has a He has a chance to. I this may sound crazy. He has a chance to lead that team in targets. Like I don't, that I don't would think not that's crazy. Be crazy. If that, yeah. And then I love the Dalton Schultz call as well. For and like Timmy was saying earlier, as you referenced, we don't know who's the top targets going to be, but it very well could be Dalton Schultz, and he could see a hundred targets himself, right? That's not that would not be crazy. Can I, can
1: I, one thing about Dalton Schultz, I just want to be very clear about this. Dalton Schultz, uh, nearly out-targeted a third of NFL teams in the red zone last year by himself on Dallas. So I might reel the expectations back on touchdowns, but I think that first downs are going to be really the determining factor of, Mm -hmm. if you're not Kelsey, of how the tight end position will lay out in, in terms of scoring rank.
0: Definitely. And then I mean we have to of course get into kickers here for the Scott Fishbowl. Whether you like kickers or you don't like kickers, they're here for Scott Fishbowl. Personally, I am a fan that they are here. Yeah. Now, this kicker strategy is going to be different depending on the, the the platform that you are on. If you are on sleeper, you have to play a kicker and you can only play one. If you are an MFL, you do not have to play a kicker at all, but you could play multiple. And with the scoring changing a little bit this year to make extra points 3.3 for every single one, scoring's kind of jumped up for them, right? And our good friend, Lindellians, uh, put out a kicker versus the field Google sheet, which the link to will be in the description of this video. want to thank her first for doing all the work that nobody else wants to do. She is the, the the kicker queen, and we appreciate her for it. But you look at this sheet, okay, and kickers, they're... QB threes, their RB threes, their wide receiver threes, their tight end twos. Okay. Like I, the, the, with the scoring increase, I think it really changed the math on kickers. I mean, there were times last year and years prior where you might want to flex a kicker because of injuries or whatnot. It's a good, nice little floor to have on your, on your bench. This is like more than a floor at this point. When you start to like compare this, that like Brett Maher would have been the tight end 14 last year. He'd have been the wide receiver 25. Uh, These are real players for this. So what do we do with this? Uh, How how often are we drafting kickers? Jake, what do we think? I
2: have kind of... I shouldn't say always, but last year especially, I was a little aggressive with kickers, and honestly, it kept my team alive through injuries. Because I was on I was on MFL last year. I had Nick Folk, I had Daniel Carlson, and they did a lot of work for me, keeping me alive in a lot of matchups. Um, and I, I think the only real shift that I have this year, kicker wise, I think I'm still going to be you know aggressive compared to the field on kickers. But this is really. A scoring format that's going to benefit good offenses in my opinion kicker has kind of always been most benefited by those kind of middle ground offenses where they're really good kind of in the, you know, in the green zone to get in
0: the range, but not really score. (laughs) Exactly.
2: And that's where Daniel Carlson like has kind of shine. Like he's got a big leg. He can make those 50 yarders. He can make those long 40 yarders. But if I'm looking like, I'm looking at the extra points made last year, like Jake Elliott got a hundred in this format would have gotten over 150 points just off of kicking extra points. And yeah, he didn't kick a ton of field goals. So in a traditional kicker format, he wasn't the most beneficial, but in this format, he's got a lot of upside. So he's, you know, he's kind of a guy that's like one of those, you know, unsexy names that I'll be targeting a little bit, but especially with no points coming off for misses, you can take the shots on those kickers where it's like, okay, Robbie gold missed five field goals last year. Like that hurts you if you're losing points for that, but also you got 50 extra points. And that's going to be a good offense obviously you know he's i don't believe he's the kicker in san francisco or won't be the kicker in san francisco one of the two um but you know really just target targeting kickers on good offenses is, is going to be kind of a plus ev play in my opinion
0: yeah and, and you have to start doing the math with them right like yes they would have finished as like a wide receiver three but we have to understand that they don't have the ceiling of being a wide receiver two one like right. some of the wide receivers in that area can draft so you have to do the math but part of that equation is that kickers don't really get injured they're basically always going to be there for you uh tim what do you think about these kickers
1: i think you just stole exactly what i was going to say about <laughs> kickers not getting injured and i think that's really valuable but i i agree with jake about being on good offenses because of the you get a point reduction if it's less you know because based on it being a yardage based thing if it's less than 30 yards you get less than three points for that being a field goal so i'm i'm pretty much looking at teams that will score at least like two, like maybe three or plus three plus touchdowns a week, which on average, that's not a bunch of teams, but you're guaranteeing yourself at least 10 points in that situation. Plus any other field goals, they may kick in that game. And that's only at 21 points. So for the game, for the team. So most likely there's going to be more points scored, but I agree with you hundred percent. I would much rather be focusing on one or two kickers, even as a backup. If I only have sleep around, like I can use one because it's more mm-hmm. likely that I can keep that second kicker. There are kickers that get cut during the season, but it's very it's much rarer than a player getting injured. So you right. kind of keep your, your safety blanket there. And, and if you're on MFL, it might be worth keeping three because there's a lot of players that will fall in and out of favor or get injured. And then you're you're fighting with other people on the waiver wire all season trying to find a replacement for your flex where he might just be sitting on your bench because you picked him up in the draft and he just sat there because guess what? You had a better kicker. You didn't have to play him. But now now you can and he's going to give you 13 to 15 points per game.
0: Yeah, you know, on MFL, I'm trying to decide what the proper number is. I don't know if there's a really proper answer to the amount of kickers that you should go for. I'm I'm thinking two or three. Uh, they they just provide your entire team a floor, a much-needed floor, I think, especially because, like I said, the starting lineups are big. <laughs> yeah. You have to fill these spots, and sometimes it gets really tough in the middle of the season, whether it's injuries, bye weeks, all the different things. Like, it could be really helpful to just be able to slide in two kickers and say, like, well, there's like 30 points. That's sure. Yeah, like I'll take yeah. that.
2: Yeah, if you're like fighting on your lineup and you're looking at, you know, especially if you're on MFL, if I'm on MFL, I'm not walking out of my draft with less than two kickers. Like that's my bare minimum. Because if I'm looking weekly and I'm looking at a Tyler Boyd, Nico Collins, or like a Daniel Carlson, I'm probably going with Carlson. Like if he's got the leg to make like four field goals that are 40 plus yards each, that's six, 16 18 points right there. And I need either of those other guys to fall into the end zone to even sniff that floor most weeks. So it's it's as safe of a floor as you can really find. Obviously, you know, there's no such thing as a safe floor, but a kicker on a, on a semi good offense. So even like a Greg Joseph, like they were a really solid offense for most of the year, but they also kicked a good amount of field goals, too. So, so you know, a team like that, Greg Joseph is going to outscore Tyler Boyd this year. I'll, maybe that's a hot take yeah. and maybe that's my hot take of the episode, but like I would rather have Greg Joseph on my roster that <laughs> than Tyler Boyd. Like once I get to that tier of like, I'm praying for a touchdown. I'm already doing that on my good players. Anyway, I don't want to be doing that on the guys who are the fourth pass, like fourth receiving option on their offense.
1: And yeah. if you even just look at ADP, like once again, I'm just bringing it back because he's wide receiver 30 T Higgins an in, in average points per game last year. T Higgins, 15 points a game, right? We have Robbie Gold 15.1, Jake Elliott 15.1, Bucker 14.7. I guarantee you those ADPs are not going to be like at all. They're yeah. not. They're yeah. not going to be the same. So, I mean, it doesn't really hurt because, you know, well, I'm going to chase upside in rounds, you know, 18, 17, 18. Like maybe you should just take kickers because it gives you a little bit of floor. Like I said, you don't have to fight people on the waiver wire. You can save your your Fab a little bit for maybe a better option or a better opportunity when someone gets injured, like that's available on the on the waiver wire versus just trying to fill a spot.
0: Yeah. Before we move on to this next next uh, section of the show, I just want to quickly say about these kickers. The last thing here is like there will be multiple RB twos, wide receiver twos that halfway through the season you will not be starting them over kickers. Yeah. They will <laughs> like this is going to happen. There's when we get those disappointments. There's gonna be a point in time in which you're realizing that these kickers are better options than a lot of terms. round six, seven, eight picks. Okay. I was right. starting
2: to kick over my round three running back last year. <laughs> yeah, there you go. All right. But
1: you had a running back last year? Oh, mine got injured. It was terrible. I
2: did too. That's why I was starting a kicker over them. <laughs> All
0: right. Last part of this show. This is a very big tournament, a large field tournament with six weeks of playoffs. And that changes the way in which you play this game, changes the way in which you draft. Um, so, I want to know, like Tim, being in a large tournament like that, how does it change things for you when you're going into this?
1: Well, I want to, a lot of ways when I look at big tournaments, it's in best ball. So I'm looking at ceiling, I'm looking at this, that, and the other thing. But if we look at how the playoffs are set up, it's bottom 10% are eliminated, bottom 10% are eliminated, bottom 10% are eliminated. We're really establishing your what your floor is, as a team average, because that goes into how you're eliminated is a big deal. So I think there's a lot more focus on, there should be a lot more focus on what your floor play is on your bottom flex guys and your kickers. Obviously you want the top guys, which you're going to target in those first rounds anyway. But I think that this might be more of a floor to, to advance type of situation. And then looking at week 16 and 17, um, I don't want to say matchups, I'm not not really big on correlation, but understanding the players that could really contribute for you later in the season, you know, like a Burrow, obviously he's going to go in the first round, but that might be things I'm looking at because they're going to compete, be competing for their buys or playoffs. And those teams are going to be the ones that are really going to be pushing hard and trying to score points, especially if they're in shootouts. So those are kind of things I would consider are bigger contributors later in the season, but I want to establish a floor early because if I can just beat out that 10% every week in the playoffs, I'm going to be in a really good spot.
0: One thing that sticks out for me is that once you reach the playoffs, in each week of the playoffs, you get your season points per week average added to your points for each of those weeks. So it makes me think we have to have this delicate balance of, you know, these players we expect to be peaking towards the end of the season like rookies and being really good in the regular season so we can make sure our average weekly total that's getting added to our score every week is as high as we can have it, because I think that can really help you get through these elimination weeks. Is because it gives you a floor basically for against the field being high there. Um, I know, like part of the reason why I got knocked out is the last few weeks before the playoffs, injuries started to hit my team and my weekly total started to drop and drop and drop. And I entered the playoff rounds in like the bottom half of weekly scores, and it really hurt me. Um, Jake what do we what do we think about this tournament
2: yeah I think the thing that I would change up the most in a large format like this is after a certain tier of players I'm fine kind of just taking whoever you like I don't want to say getting your guy but like if you recognize like if you think Desmond Ritter is an awesome option in this format ADP's out the window by the fourth round of of Scott Fishbowl drafts anyway, so I'm not saying take Desmond Ritter in the fourth, but be you can be aggressive on some of those guys that are in those more ambiguous situations, just because you know, especially once you're at a certain point, like there's no you know, the sunk cost fallacy should be gone anyway. You shouldn't care what you invested into a player. If they're not contributing to your roster, get them off your roster. But you can be, if if Desmond Ritter's your quarterback four on your team or quarterback three, however you decide to draft him, like you can be flexible with a guy like that. Whereas if he hits, the upside is higher. So, you know, while you do want to establish that weekly floor, some of those later grabs, you know, past your kickers, um, you know, I love me some kickers, but you know, if, if it comes to a point where like Desmond Ritter's still on the board or I could take kicker one, I may lean Desmond Ritter cuz there's a, a pretty good chance that he ends up being you know a higher level contributor and I just I'm not investing as much you know into that. So I think it just becomes a point of where the diversification against the field can be really valuable. So that's what, almost a benefit of going against ADP at a certain point just because you could be the only fourth spot in the entire league that has X player because Nobody else is, is drafting because it's off of ADP. Whereas, you know, I know when that pick comes around to me, I'm, I'm not picking again for like 16 picks. So I can be a little bit more aggressive knowing that I I'm not going to get this guy. And a lot of people in my spot are also not going to have this guy.
0: Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, that is one of those things if you're trying to win a large field tournament, you have to be unique. It's just natural. I mean, there's going to be a lot of people who advance in the tournament who have Joe Burrow like right so like how do you differentiate yourselves from the Joe Burrow teams those teams probably have at least one other Cincinnati skill player Uh, you know like you you can start to build in your mind how these teams might look especially based on the I I did say earlier in the show that ADP is not really going to matter but you could sit like still like you have a general range of players that go that you can start to like build okay this is what these kinds of teams look like if you're really trying to win you maybe you are taking that player just outside of that or or you know trying to try and differentiate yourself in some way uh if you're really really trying to to go for this whole thing yeah I think you can look at
2: adp all you want but you know you hit a point where you're just taking the bet like your best player available and that's really how we should be approaching this anyway and i don't care if if your best player is eight picks off of adp who cares You know, if that's going to be the best player for your roster, reach a little bit. I'm not telling you to reach four rounds or three rounds or even two rounds, but like if you're within a certainly reaching exactly like you're, you're reaching to make what's going to be the best pick for you. Say, you know, you see Desmond Ritter on the board. I'll just stick with him as the example. You know that there is not another usable quarterback left on the board besides Desmond Ritter. I'm fine taking that over my sixth wide receiver, my fifth running back, whatever it may be, just because the up again, that's where it comes back to the upside. The upside with him is just different compared to somebody who's going to be, you know, a a solid floor, but nothing special. Whereas we know the quarterback's going to provide a solid floor. If Ritter can run as much as he did in college, he's going to offer you more upside just off the rushing bonus that he's going to get. So being, you know, a little bit aggressive, there's it it can't hurt. And if it does hurt you, you probably hit some other problems on your team too, and that's why you missed the playoffs. It's not because your 12th round pick didn't score 17 points a game.
1: I very much dislike Ritter, and I agree with this take because <laughs> the QB floor and QB upside is so much higher than, like you said, your wide receiver six yeah, if all you day hit. long. But I was just going to say one other thing about the playoffs. You could establish a, a good floor in regular season, but that doesn't mean you have to play those same players when you get to the playoffs. You could be targeting more rookies or, like you said, players that yes. would get seasoned later because, because that gives you your differentiation as well as it gives you potential upside because their roles may be completely different when we get to that point in the season. You still don't have the responsibility where you have to play them, but it gives you options because you could then still have that safety of that average, but you may have a much – higher level of upside when those players even uh, just, I guess either I said assume roles or the role, the role grows and um, nobody else is playing them that week because they either weren't targeting them. They went on other teams. Those teams started to be dependent on them, fell off the playoffs early. So might be a much lower percentage of teams that even share that same player.
0: Totally boys. This was great. Given all these people, a lot of really good stuff to help them win in their scott fishbowl drafts and hopefully make the playoffs win the whole thing if i'm not going to win it i hope well maybe someone on our team but if not well, once on our team uh one of the great fans out there who who came and watched the show and we helped somebody it, it'd mean a lot um so let's get through some bookkeeping real <laughs> quick stuff here of course scott fishbowl 13 fancy cares donate If you're not donating to them, donate to your favorite charity, whatever that may be. The link for Fantasy Cares will be in the description of this video. Like I said in the beginning, that is the most important part of all this. While we are playing this game and everybody's competitive and wants to win, the big thing here is that we're doing this for charity, for other people who need it, right? Okay. Now to get some selfish stuff for JWB. Uh, You can find Jake on Twitter at Perry underscore FF. You can find Tim at Nubs, double N, double Bs. You can find me at YB underscore FF. You can find JWB at JWB underscore FF. Also in the description of this video, you can find the link to our Discord, which the community has been great in there. They're talking every single day. You can find our Patreon to get all of our bonus content. We're supported by Underdog. If you sign up with code JWB, you can get a first time deposit match up to $100. What else do we got? Uh, I think that does it for all of us. Like, subscribe, follow. We'll see you next time. Love you.